0: Is Ed Hires. I'm one of the pastors here at Shiloh, and we are in a series entitled Stretched Thin. And the title of our message today is Money Talks. Be careful how you listen. Hence our song. And the name of the song is, and by the way, it's not Reverend Blue Jeans, which people always say. What is the name of the song? Forever in that's not fair. You know it. Okay, that's all right. And who sang that song? Neil Diamond. That's his real name, by the way. Didn't uh, take a stage name. And what year was that released in? Not 80s, not 90s. 70s, late 70s. 79. All right, that was was tough, by the way. That was tough. All right, so by the way, Neil Diamond, just a sidelight. Uh, Neil Diamond not only wrote tremendous songs for himself, if you're a Neil Diamond fan, uh, but he also wrote for others. Now, most of you that are under 50 probably won't remember this. But anyway, he wrote I'm a Believer for the Monkees, one of their key songs, a little bit you, a little bit me, and one that most of you have heard of that he wrote for the famous Elvis Presley. He didn't write them for him. He actually recorded it, and Elvis took it, and that is Don't Be Cruel. All right. So you didn't know that, I know, you say, that's enough, Ed, if I didn't come for anything else than that, that's just, that's perfect. All right, so in our series, we've been sharing about margin, okay, margin, so Pastor Greg started off by sharing with us, what does margin really mean? What is that word mean? And last week, Steve, who introduced us to his uh, very close, fictitious friend, Barney Yenrap, which I... Yenrab, uh, wow, that was creative. Um, he talked about margin in our schedule. Margin in our schedule. And today we're going to be discussing the importance of margin in our finances. Now, just to be clear, prosperity comes in many ways. I know that. But today we're going to be talking specifically about money. So I don't want that to be confusing. And as we begin today, let's look at a few somewhat humorous comments on money. Okay, It's not your salary that makes you rich, it's your spending habits. True, huh? Uh, Next one, the quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it back in your pocket. (laughs) Come on. I am one step away from being rich. All I need now is money. Do you want to make money from Facebook? It's easy. Go to your account settings, deactivate your account, and go to work. (laughs) They say money talks. Mine just seems to wave goodbye. (laughs) Oh, my. So, we do joke a lot about money. But money problems, when you're having a hard time managing money, are seldom, if ever, humorous. So how many here today, being honest with me, would say, Ed, I'm a little squeezed right now in finances, or I occasionally, maybe even more than occasionally, am stressed by my finances? Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, all over the place. So this is, a, this is really a big issue in the church. It's a big issue in the world, but it's a big issue in the church. And right up front, here's a spoiler alert. When I'm done this, some of you won't like me as much as you did when I started that, is, of course, assumes you liked me at all when we started. But, but this is preaching passionately about money really can set some people in different positions. So, And just to be clear, I'm not preaching at to you today. I'm preaching at myself. I will be in a lot of what I'm going to talk about today. In fact, I've come to realize I won't like myself as much when I've done this. So just so you know, since I already did this once. So with that great opening salvo, let's dig in to this whole idea of financial margin. So today, in our world, having monthly payments, totally normal. Debt, totally normal. Anxiety, fear, worry about money, again, normal. Sadly, even tensions in our relationships, some of our closest relationships, are caused by the issue of money. Very normal. See, having literal or no financial margin in today's world has actually come to, come to be normal. And if there's one reason to look at financial margin is to say that this normal in the world is not good because normal is not working. So when I say financial margin, what do I mean? Well, Pastor Greg defined margin. It is the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. So financially, let's make this real simple. Let's assume that you make $3,000 a month. So if you make $3,000 a month and all of your expenses, including your taxes and everything else, are $2,500 a month, how much margin do you have? $500, right. Now if you make $3,000 a month and you spend $3,000 a month, how much margin do you have? Zero. All right, you knew this was coming, right? You make $3,000 a month and you spend $3,500 a month, how much margin do you have? negative margin. So, financial margin, what is it? It's the amount of money available beyond what is necessary. And what does it look like in our everyday lives? Very simply, having money left over at the end of the month. That's financial margin. And it is possible, by the way, some of you are out there thinking, hmm, it is possible and it's a good thing. See, it's having enough money to help someone who is in need that God has crossed your path it's having money available to give without feeling stressed it could also be having money to do something you enjoy without having to borrow to do it it could be having money available to purchase time margin this is an interesting one see if you have financial margin, you can sometimes hire someone to do things that either you don't like to do, you can't do well, it's too time consuming, keeps you away from doing other things where you could actually earn money, and, and by f- having financial margin, you get to buy this time margin. Now, so here's an important takeaway. You can only purchase time margin when you have financial margin. So let me give you an example of this. I live in a home that has a decent view. In order to have a decent view, you have to be aware. You have to be high on top of the hill. So my property goes like this, so my driveway's a real issue, but my backyard's a real issue. So if I want to mow my backyard, I take my life in my hands, okay? Because I, I'm going down this hill and turning almost anywhere, I could roll the mower. It could really hurt myself. And also, I have a fence all around my backyard, and when you slide down, you hit the, and you damage the, and you have to pay for, yes. Okay, so I hired a company that was dumb enough to take this job. And they did it, and guess what they do? They slide down into my, they break my, and guess who has to pay for it now? They do, all right. So, time margin. I can buy time margin and not do something I hate to do, it's dangerous to do. See, financial margin allows us to be financially at rest, not anxious, not worried, not afraid because of our financial struggles. But while we all know that, right, That there's not one person here that wouldn't say, I agree with that saying. Financial margin is something that so many people, including them in this room, do not have much of. See, I believe God wants us to have financial margin. You know, Paul says something very interesting in First Corinthians, a scripture that I love and I pray and ask God that I might be able to in as many ways as possible, live up to this. And it says this, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, that's a, that's a bold statement to be able to make. But you see, as Christians, we are supposed to be examples to the world of how to live. And one of those areas that we're called to be examples in is this whole area of finances. Follow me as I follow what God's Word says about finances. And for some... That would not be something you would want to say. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So Proverbs says that in the house of the wise, there is financial margin. In the house of the wise, there is more than enough to meet the needs. In the house of the wise, there is a ease and a peace. Proverbs says a foolish person consumes all that they have. We could say in our vernacular of today, they live Paycheck to paycheck, a foolish person doesn't have anything left over. They don't save. See, notice importantly here, though, that the Bible doesn't say that in the house of the wealthy there is margin, or it doesn't say in the house of the two-income family there's margin, or the, the house where there's a six-figure income there is, uh, there is margin, or there is uh, uh, a lack of need. It doesn't say that. See, the Bible said it's in the house of the wise that there is more than enough. In other words, there is a wise way for you and I to manage our, fi- our finances that God entrusts to us, and there is a foolish way. While I'm not functioning here as a pastor, I work in a financial uh, planning, financial services firm, and as a result of that, I get to see a lot of people and know a lot about their money. And when you look at some of these people, you would say, wow, now that person would have financial margin because they look wealthy. They live in a big home. They drive a nice car. But I want to tell you this. While sometimes that can be true, it also is not true many times. See, they look good, but the fact of the matter is they're in financial difficulty of some nature, partly because of how they look, all right? But then there are people as clients, they look like they have a very modest lifestyle, don't have a lot of things. They, they, they don't look fancy at all. And, and you might be tempted to go over to them and say, wow, they're not, they're not rich, they're not wealthy, but you'd be surprised. Many times, they truly are rich. They have the peace and the joy. But a lot of times, they have they have money. More money than people that look like they do. So they have this lack of tension, this lack of fear. So Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. to But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, it didn't say that it's some gain or marginal gain or decent gain. He says... It's great gain. Paul goes on in seven and eight to say, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But we have if but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That is great gain. Verses nine and ten people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and are trapped into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, and that's my statement, and things, because that's many times the motivation or the outworking of wanting to have money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want you to note this last scripture. It's very important. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. That's what you hear people say. Always remember, money is the root of all evil. That's not true. The love of money is not the root of all evil. It's the root of many evils is a better interpretation of the Greek. So, so it's, it's key to understand here, money in itself is not a bad thing. The love of money brings about, if we're not careful, many evils into our lives. So what are some of those griefs that it brings in? Well, first of all, debt can cause a lot of grief in your life or in your family's life. Financial pressure, stress, grief. We see fear causing grief in these situations. We see people unable to enjoy blessings that they have because they're always worried about their money. But what's really the problem here? What is it that causes so many of us to trade margin, flexibility, security, peace for material things that don't last? Why is it? Well, a big reason is our culture Continues to lie to us. Our culture lies to us over and over and over again. And what are they lying to us about? Because this is how they define the word happiness, which most people say they want. And the definition they give you is more than I currently have. More than I currently have. Let me tell you about a man, his name was Nelson D. Rockefeller, long dead. Once was asked, very, very wealthy man, how much money was enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. When he died, his accountant was asked, how much did he leave? The accountant said, all of it. Now, let me give you a sense of how rich he was. John D. Rockefeller, when he died, feller owned... 1.5% of every asset in the United States of America. His net worth today, if he died in 19, or 2020, would be $340 billion. Four times the net worth of Bill Gates. So, interesting, he left it all. See that, this is what the world is telling us. Whatever you have, it's not enough. If you have something else, you'll be happier. If you have just a little bit more, it would make the difference, all the difference in the world. So can I, this is now where I confess uh, my shortcomings. So I'm going to start a group, OK? And, and you'll look at this next slide, and you'll understand. It's going to be called um, Amazon Anonymous. <laughs> my name is Ed, and I'm a compulsive Amazon buyer. Okay? So, I mean, oh, it's tough, huh? How many people here, don't, be, don't lie to me now, I know you may not do it all in one month, but how many people here, if you average out all your purchases from Amazon over the year, would admit to me, Ed, I buy at least one product a month, on average? Come on. Yeah, look at them. Come on, you, the lighting section over here. All right. How many would say, I'll be honest with you, I buy two, average of two a month? Okay, good, I'm going to stop there because I'm a little way up the hill from that and I don't want to do it anymore. okay? But, hey, you can sit on your couch, do your shopping, push a button, and the next day it appears outside your door. And they tell you when it's going to appear, and if you want to, you can track the truck as it comes. Oh, So our culture tells us this. You deserve it. If you can't afford it, make payments. Get it now. It's going to make you happy. About 30 years ago, I found myself in a lot of debt. As a Christian, I was a Christian, but I was in a lot of debt. And I went to like a Dave Ramsey. I don't remember the name of the individual back then, but it was somebody else. And I went there, and, and they taught me and Barb how to get out of debt. It was miraculous. Within a year and a half to two years, I was out of debt just by doing what they told me. It was such a relief for us. And and I think it was a miracle because I couldn't imagine I would get out of debt that fast. But God just showed up. See, the crazy thing is, many of us are more blessed today than we could have ever imagined. And yet, many are more miserable than we've ever been, and much of it around money. See, in our culture... Many of us have lifestyled our way right past margin. For many, it's not an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. Easy statement. When our expenses are greater than our income, we have a lifestyle problem. But even more than that, even more than a lifestyle problem, most financial issues have at their root, which you could only, which hopefully you would know, a spiritual problem. That's where almost all problems in our lives come from, spiritual. So Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, I think the primary point of those scriptures is that where your money goes, that's where your heart's going to be. Studies show that the average Christian in the United States gives 2% of their income to spiritual endeavors, whether that's church or ministries. So that means 98% of the average Christian finances are going to other places and other things. With those statistics, where would you conclude that our heart is going? And and let me tell you what makes those statistics even worse is that those are skewed by those that give a lot. Okay, so that's an average, kind of like, like we talked about on Amazon. That's an average. If we looked at the median we would probably see it's even lower than that. See, we wonder why sometimes so many want the world and are not satisfied with God because it's a spiritual problem. It's a lack of understanding the word and what the word says about our money, about our finances. So how do you and I create financial margin? It isn't complex, right? The answer is really simple, okay? You have to either earn more, spend less, or do a little of both. But Again, you're all smart. We all know that. That's not an that's not a, a issue that seems to solve the problem because everybody knows it. But there is a much deeper issue, and this is the issue. It goes beyond the practical of just saying something like that. You must put God first in your finances. You must put God first. I was fortunate that I had a mentor that taught me that very, very early on. See, you must put God first because in our world, we tend to be first. If we want it, we're going to get it. If we have anything left over, that's where God comes in. But here's what Jesus tells us about building financial margin and, and what the result will be. He says, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added, given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, when you're having financial trouble, it's all about tomorrow. How am I going to make the payment? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Financial issues create great fear and anxiety about the future. You see, when we seek him first, when we make his salvation our primary possession all that we really need, Jesus said, will be given to us. And when we do that, we suddenly lose our need to worry about our provision. So, But I'm not talking about just a kind of a head knowledge. You need to prayerfully seek the Lord. You need to come close to the Lord, genuinely asking him, God, what would you have me to do with the resources that you give to me? Because our, our thought is sometimes that all of what we get is ours, and then we give some to God. All of what we get is his, and we keep quite a bit of it to live on. So what happens when you put God first? Well, let's go back to the history of where did this all come from, this whole idea of putting God first in our giving. Well, in the Old Testament, there's this teaching about the tithe. It was 10%, and all the Jews were called on, not just their money, but fruit and uh, fruit and vegetables and things they grew and animals and all that. And God would tell them in the law that they needed to give the first 10%. So why did he make that part of the law? Okay, because he wanted his children to learn to give, and he wanted to teach them a very important point. That if you give your first fruits to me, 10%, I will bless you and multiply the 90% to go further and do more than if you kept the whole 100%. That was the whole deal. You see, a lot of times we say, well, you know what? God doesn't need our money. Let me just tell you, I don't necessarily agree with that. Not that he needs it like he's broke, okay? But God set up an economic system for his kingdom, And the way that kingdom is set up is that the saints give into the ministries, the kingdom work, in order that the kingdom can be expanded. Can you imagine what our world would look like if every Christian were to give, we'll talk about this in a moment, sacrificially, if they were to give as the first thing they do to honor God, I will tell you something, we would take over this world. So it's not that he needs it like he's broke, but he needs it to do what he needs to do. And that was why he did that in the Old Testament, why he made that a part of the law, so that that 10% could provide for his kingdom, for the church, for the leaders that were carrying the burdens of the spiritual direction of the people. It's really not any different today. Your giving, when it comes into a church, this church or any other church, it goes to supply the needs of the temple or the church, and it goes to supply the leaders being provided so that they can serve and minister to the saints. So there's a big difference, though, between the Old Testament, what's under the law, and what the New Testament talks about. See, Jesus talked about sacrificial giving. It, he didn't talk about, you need to give this much. See, when, when you have that attitude of the tithe, at least for me, when I, I know I started out, you know, fully committed, this was, the, this was the deal. And when I would make $300, I would give $30. If it might be $35, I'd give, three you know, 350 And the problem there is you get into this mindset that says, hey, when I give 10%, I'm all set. And God doesn't want that. Okay, he wants to deal individually with you. Not a law thing, but a, a, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. So what you give is, is between you and God. But God says... It's a sacrificial gift that he's looking for. See, this is important for us to understand. This is money I have in my pocket. And how did I get this money? I traded my life for it. You see, I decided that I would go somewhere and do something, not necessarily that I would do. If you said to me, what do you want to do today? If you can do anything you want, it wouldn't be, oh, please let me go to work but I go and I spend 8 to 10 hours a day of my life so that I can get this. So when you give of your money, you're actually giving of your life. You've traded it for that. And when you give sacrificially, you're sacrificially giving of your life, your time. See, giving, it builds our faith. It's one of the most tangible and practical ways that we can put God first. It forces us, to rearrange our lives around God. Many times, it will cause us to say no to the things of the world so we can say yes to putting God first. Guess what else giving does? It breaks this power of materialism and consumerism. It breaks the power because it forces us to go some places that our money wasn't going to before. It stops our money sometimes from going where it was going before. So that we instead give our first fruits to God, not what's left over, but the first dollars. We don't pay Uncle Sam first. We don't pay the mortgage first. We don't pay the credit card company first. Giving to God builds our faith, and you will see God's hand and his work and his provision as you put him first. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, It is better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth in turmoil. See, there are very few people, though, in our society today that actually would ever believe that. Better a little with peace than great wealth with turmoil. Better something paid for than something nicer bought under stress or by debt. Better a little with no fear of the Lord than what everyone else wants. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The world says more will make you happy. You will never get there. God says, happiness and contentment with what you have is what he wants for us. When you realize it's better to live this way, you become different. You start paying cash and budgeting, and and you realize it's better to have money than to consume with your money. It's better that when something breaks down that you don't break down because you have the ability to pay to have it fixed. It's better to see someone in need and be able to help out. It's better to be praying about what to do with the extra than never having any extra. When you seek him first, when you give, when you put him first, I will tell you by experience, you will experience his presence, his provision, and his blessings. You will become supernaturally content. You know, I don't know... What will happen to you from a financial standpoint when you give? But I will tell you this, i take peace and contentment any day over money. Proverbs 8, 8, 8 18 and 19 says, with me, riches, with me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. My fruit is better than fine gold. My gifts are better than the finest silver. When you do the things that allow you To have financial margin, you then invest in the things that are most important. I will tell you that you will become more relationally rich because you will have time that those chasing after finances do not have. You'll be rich spiritually because you will find yourself in the presence of the Lord and drawn to him as you watch how he works in your life. And I have usually found that God will bless you financially. As you put him first. All this, all this begins by putting God first in all the areas of your life. But it does include, does include your finances. Now, at 68 years old, I've gone through a lot that deals with finances. But I want you to go back with me at 25 years old. I'm I'm new to New Hampshire, and I am stupidly broke. I don't own the car I'm driving in. I've got debt already at the bank. I can't afford a down payment on an apartment. We can't. We ended up getting an apartment at the bottom of the hill of a road where the bottom of the hill was the bottom of the hill. And couldn't afford a shower. You know, as we had children come, couldn't afford to eat out, hand me down clothes, all the rest of that. But one thing I was taught, my mentor, Jack Hartman, taught me right from the beginning. Ed, you always have to give. So back in those days, I I was under this sense that the tithe was the whole thing, but I did. I gave 10% before I did anything else. It was a killer. It caused me and us and our family to do without a lot of things. But it also taught me God's economics. And what God would do from there was to allow me to get to a place where I could now be a blessing many others that were in that similar place or other places, but I always knew that my resources were not mine. My resources are God's and I look and find opportunities to bless others. I couldn't do that for the first 10 years of my existence here in New England, but God's economy is an amazing one. When you realize how that economy works, and you start giving from your margin into the kingdom of God, watch and see what God does with your life. It doesn't matter how much or how little you earn, it really is that no matter where you are, God will meet you there. He met me there. You see, the choice is yours and it's mine. It's not an income issue, it's a lifestyle issue. The choice is ours us first, God first. And I will tell you from experience, putting God first is always better. When I prepare a message, I start somewhere between a week or two ahead. But the one thing I never do is, is come up with a close. Because I always find, that I think it's probably the most important part of the message, but I always find God gives that to me on the day of. Always happens that way. I don't spend a lot of time thinking of it because he always changes it on my ride into the church. So as I was coming in today... I felt God spoke to me very clearly. You see, I believe, if I'm sitting where you are, I believe this the same way as if I'm standing up here. When God preaches something that speaks to me, I either can walk out that door and it'll be just kind of a good message and I won't even be able to tell you later what it said. Or I say, God, this is something in this for me and I want to do business with you right now. If you walk out, just like when I walk out, I don't do business with God. I, I say I will. But many times I don't. So if you're here today, let me, let me talk to a, a, a select group of you. If you're here today and you would say, Ed, I have financial issues right now. I don't have any margin. I'm deficit. I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know how to, to move from this spot. I'll tell you who does know, God knows. And I tell you this, he'd love to tell you about it. But you got to get in front of him and you got to ask him to show you, and it will show you. Or maybe you're here today, and you have, you have finances. But if you're honest, you would say, I don't really think much about the whole issue of sacrificial giving. I give this to my church. I give this over here. I, I don't really look. But I don't really think much about that, Ed. Or maybe you'd say, Ed, my money's going to the wrong places right now. I know it is. And I, I need to stop where my money's going. Or maybe God's blessed you with a significant amount of resources, but you want to know, God, what do you have me do with this? I don't want to, I don't want to put it somewhere you wouldn't have me put it. Or maybe you know someone that's really going through financial struggles. And you'd like to just pray about them. So here's what we're gonna do. A few weeks ago, Bethany did something I just was so blessed by. You know, it's great to come up and have people pray for you, but it's just a better thing to go to God. So I'm going to ask you, if you are in any of those categories of financial issue, whether it's excess or lack, whether it's somebody else, whether it's money going to the wrong place, I'm going to ask you to join me because I'm going to kneel up here too. Barb and I are about to make some very significant financial decisions, and I need to hear God. In fact, I did this the first service, and I heard something I didn't even think about. So I'm going to ask you to join me. Come to the altar and and just do business with God. Just talk to him about where you are. When all those hands went up this morning, I mean, this is an issue that God has a solution for, for every one of us. Let's start by coming. If that's you, please come and kneel with me as we just go and take this before the Lord. Right now, come and just do business with God. He's an awesome Father. still come as we dismiss. We're going to leave those here just seeking the Lord, and thank you for coming to Shiloh today. We love you all, and have a blessed day. You may go, and please, if you would like to come, there is room. God bless you.